Well, it is good to be with you again, and I, I do appreciate the opportunity to talk on these subjects that are very practical. This is very biblical, and combining those two, the biblical and the practical, to really understand what, how God has designed for us to function as men, as, as part of his creation. We've focused on uh, the fact that God is the owner of everything, and we are stewards over his creation. We focused last week on the fact that um, the Bible has a lot to say about credit and debt and how we are to avoid certain aspects of debt and how we are to use debt uh, sparingly. And uh, tonight, we're going to focus on work. We're going to focus on how God has designed us to function with labor, to produce, to be a functioning part of society, to provide. And I just have up here, just as a reminder, Jesus' words on stewardship. Uh, We constantly need to be reminded of this, that these material aspects that we have to deal with, these stewardship issues that we have to deal with, are sort of the testing grounds for ministry, for being entrusted with eternal matters, being entrusted with serving and shepherding the souls of men. If you can't handle these material aspects, which are only here temporarily, they will all fade away. It's all going to burn up. But Jesus himself said, if you can't handle unrighteous wealth, who will entrust true riches to you? If you've not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? Right? You cannot serve God and wealth. Very important principles here. And just reminding us of the Apostle Paul's words from 1 Corinthians 4. Let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. Just key words that we're going to keep hitting on constantly. We need to be reminded of being trustworthy, being faithful, faithful stewards, that's the title of this series. And we all, we're here for a reason. We're here for a purpose. We all desire to honor the Lord, to glorify him. And we can certainly do that in a very practical way through how we handle what he has entrusted to us as a stewardship. Then just a reminder as, as well, everything that we do needs to be to the glory of God. Everything. You cannot compartmentalize your life and say this over here has nothing to do with the Lordship of Christ. doesn't matter what I do with this. I will have these things over here that I've submitted to Christ, but this over here, it doesn't matter. I'll leave it. That's not true. Every aspect of our lives must be brought under the Lordship of Christ because we are stewards of everything that he has entrusted to us. So tonight, we're going to focus on work and saving a little bit. 
Mainly our, our focus tonight is going to be on work because that's such a foundational, fundamental topic when it comes to acquiring money. It's the, the main means that God has designed for us of how we acquire money so that we can function and provide in society. You have to start out, of course. I have my little senseless humor up here. So guy goes to an interview at Ikea. Make a chair, take a seat. There you go. Can you do what we do here? Do you have the capability? Do you have the talents? Do you have the skills to do what we do here? Right? So funny, but uh, highly practical. That's a great interview. So our focus tonight, means of acquiring money in stewardship. And hopefully everyone has a handout. If you don't, there's probably still some left in the aisles on the chairs that can be handed out. So part three here, work and save to grow. Means of acquiring money in stewardship. Start out with this proverb. Wealth obtained by fraud dwindles, but the one who gathers by labor increases it. God has designed labor as a good thing. This is how we can increase. And we're not just increasing to gather stuff for ourselves, to add zeros to our bank account. But we want to be able to provide for our families and provide for others who are in need and be able to give generously. Next week, it's gonna, we're going to focus on giving. But how can you give unless you have an income coming in. And if you're wisely handling that income and getting out of debt, putting yourself in a position of strength so that you can be generous to other people. But that comes by labor. So let's look at this first major topic here, work. Ecclesiastes 2, 24 to 26 Solomon writes here, There is nothing better for a man than to eat and drink and tell himself that his labor is good. This also I have seen that it is from the hand of God. For who can eat and who can have enjoyment without him? For to a person who is good in his sight, he has given wisdom and knowledge and joy, while to the sinner he has given the task of gathering and collecting, so that he may give to one who is good in God's sight. This too is a vanity and striving after wind. But one of the points here is that labor is good. It is from the hand of God. Work is good. Work is a blessing. And we're going to see why. We're going to see why that is such a blessing. First of all, we need to understand, as I've said in the past couple weeks, I've mentioned this. We are created in God's image. We are designed to reflect his attributes. The fall has certainly damaged that ability of ours, but for those of us who are being sanctified, we should be reflecting his attributes more and more. We are to reflect his glory to the world. And one way that we can do that is by being a worker. And why is that? Because God himself is the greatest example of a worker. And you've got to understand that. That is fundamental. That is foundational. God is a worker. God is a worker. 
You say, I don't like to work. You're saying, I don't want to reflect God's glory in my life. God is a worker. He set the example by working six days during the first week, the creation week, and then resting on the seventh. Exodus 20 reflects this. In the Mosaic Covenant, it's being established for the nation. God designs the Sabbath for the, the Israelites, for the people. And God instructs them that they are to, through Moses, that they are to work for six days. But then they are to rest on the seventh. And why are they to do that? Because God worked for six days. He created everything in six days. Did he need rest on the seventh day? No. Did he expend any an ounce of energy that took anything away from his power? In those six days, not at all. He wasn't tired, but he did it to set a precedent for the people of Israel in particular. <coughs> to work six days and to rest because that has been set aside for them to find strength and refreshment to be ready for a new week. Just going back to Genesis 1, God saw all that he had Made, made, implies work. And behold, it was very good. There was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed and all their hosts. And it is interesting in that account in Genesis that every other day, God said it is good. At the end of the sixth day, he said it's very good. And why is that? Yes, he had completed his work. But also man was created on the sixth day. The image bearer was created on the sixth day. And this was very good in God's sight. But the seventh day God completed what? What did he complete? His work, which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. A lot of repetition here. Are you getting it? Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. Right? So God is the ultimate example of a worker. And let's take a look at some of the characteristics of how he accomplished his work. First of all, creativity. God is a creative worker. Right? Those six days were creative activity, creating something from nothing, creating all that exists that did not exist prior to day one. And we know that the only things that existed prior to day one were Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Nothing else created prior to day one. This is a creative act. The created order puts his mind on display. Just consider what we've only discovered in our limited abilities of the universe. And it is so vast and beyond our comprehension. Right? There are things that exist in the universe that no man will ever see. But God has put his mind on display. His magnificence, his glory in his creation. 
And that is a creative work. Right? Talk about an understatement. I mean, was God's creation a creative work? Absolutely. Displaying his brilliant mind, which is beyond our comprehension. So the created order puts his mind on display. It's complex, but it's also beautiful, and it is meant for our enjoyment. Second, God's example of being a worker, diligence. God created everything in six days, right? He had a plan. He carried out that plan. He didn't say, get halfway through, and he said, oh, I think the fourth day is going to be the day of rest. Or on the third day, he didn't say, oh, you know what? I forgot to do something on the second day. Forgot to do this. Now I got to make that up. No, he had a plan. It was all planned out prior to his beginning. He knew when he was going to start. He knew when he was going to finish. He knew exactly what he was going to do on every day. And he was diligent to complete every aspect. Not only that, but he created everything with excellence. He didn't say, well, I made a few mistakes, but that's all right. I'll take an A minus. No, God did everything with excellence. According to his perfect plan, everything was created. And he himself described it as very good. This is exactly what I wanted to do. I did it. It's been accomplished with excellence. Next, God was satisfied. He pronounced everything very good. He finished everything on the sixth day, and he rested on the seventh. Because everything that he designed to accomplish was accomplished. And he was satisfied, and he pronounced it all very good. Provision. Through his creation, God provides for man's needs and enjoyment. We see there on the sixth day that God creates Adam. But he waits a little while to bring Eve along, right? He lets Adam see all of God's creation, all the animals, brings them to him. Adam names them. But what was the issue? There was not a helper found suitable for Adam. And so God brings along Eve, puts Adam to sleep, creates Eve out of Adam's rib, and gives him a perfect companion. And we know that that was a plan B. That was his plan all along. And at the end of that, everything that man needs is at his disposal through God's creation. He provides for all of man's physical needs through creation. Now, let's take a look now at man. We've seen God as a worker. We've seen that he created everything in six days. And we see how he created. Well, let's see now that as the image bearer, how man can reflect God's glory in work. Man fulfills God's purposes for him through work since he has been created in the image of God and is directed to follow God's example. I'm just going to interject here before I forget. You know, retirement, that is a creation of man. There's only one mention 
of retirement in the entire Bible, and that is the Levites. They are to work at age 25 to age 50, and they are to retire from service at age 50. That didn't mean they stopped helping. They could still help in the ministry, in the temple, but uh, we don't know exactly why that is, but we do consider that that was probably a very difficult job. These, these priests were basically butchers, right? And that's physically demanding, cutting up the sacrifices, offering the sacrifices constantly. But other than that, now I'm not saying you cannot stop working from your regular job that you've been working at maybe for 10, 20, 30 years, and you, you, but you need to retire like you retire the wheels on your car. Put on new wheels and go, keep going. Maybe go in a different direction, okay? But the idea that retirement is when we just have leisure and we just spend on ourselves and we relax, that is not God's design for us. Statistics show that when men retire and they have nothing to do, death is not far behind because that is not God's design for us. So be active. You can be active in ministry, in serving, volunteering, helping others. There's a multitude of things you can do that you're not necessarily eight hours a day at a job. Right? So, sorry, I just had to interject that in here. So how can we, during our profitable years, the years of strength, how can we reflect God's glory? Creativity. Same descriptions here. We want to apply these to ourselves, to man. Since man is created in the image of God, he possesses the creative abilities that no other creature possesses. There is no other creature that is created in God's image. No other creature has a self-awareness. No other creature has the same abilities that God has given to man to separate him from all the rest of creation. And we have a creative mind. God has given us creativity to work. Look at all the things that man can accomplish with his creative mind, especially when he is using it for God's glory. The men who were chosen to build the tabernacle and to prepare all the materials and do all the metalwork and the fabrics and the wood carving, all of those things, God granted these men this talent to do this and the skill to design things according how, to how he had given the description to Moses. So man is creative. He must use his creative abilities to glorify God. Now, I, I look at, you know, we look at uh, creative aspects in the arts. And if you will be observant, you'll notice back, you go back to the classical period neoclassical, which has come back a bit, um, Baroque period. If you look at the art from that time, whether that be paintings, sculptures, other objects, those pieces of art reflect reality. They reflect God's creation. They reflect things as they really are. But look at what we call modern art. Modern art, in many ways, is blasphemous. It's a perversion. It is not reflective of God's reality, God's creation. 
You can see the further man drifts away, the further man denies God, the further man rebels against God, the stranger the art becomes. Why? Because they want to deny God. And you deny his reality by creating something else. So God's creative design for men can be perverted. It can be transformed and changed into something that does not reflect his creation, does not reflect his glory. So we should be using our creative abilities to glorify God. Fallen man often, as I just said, uses his creative abilities to distort God's creation and reject God as creator. Diligence. Since God was diligent in his creation, man is to pattern his work ethic after God's work ethic. He is not to be lazy or wasteful, since God is not lazy or wasteful. God didn't finish creation week and say, oh, I've got a bunch of stuff left over, not sure what to do with it. Right? He's not wasteful, and he didn't say, oh, I've got three more hours in the day. I took a little siesta in the afternoon, so uh, I better catch up now. No, he, again, he was diligent, so man is to reflect that by pursuing diligence. In Ecclesiastes, Solomon writes here, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For there is no activity or planning or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol where you are going. When you die, there's no more longer any opportunity to pursue any of these things here on the earth. So whatever you do, do it with all your might. Do it with diligence. Also, do it with excellence. Man should pursue excellence in all that he does because this reflects God's performance of excellence through his creative act. Right? God did everything and he pronounced it very good. Everything was perfect according to how he designed it to be. Proverbs 22, 29. You see a man skilled in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. Even the world recognizes excellence and skill. When I read this verse, there's a, a, one person that just always comes to mind. I'm sure there's many, but the, the first person that pops into my mind is Christopher Parkening. Christopher Parkening, who we see that he plays with such ease, you know, one of the most famous classical guitarists in the world today, and plays here at Grace from time to time, um, and was saved through the ministry of, of John's teaching. But he put hours and hours in, early mornings, practicing, practicing. And I believe that his father told him, you need to play every piece to perfection, if it's five times or seven times in a row, then you've mastered it. No mistakes. And he would constantly, constantly working, perfecting. And that is an artist, artistic craft that he performs. But that is work. It is work that he put into that. Do we put in that kind of effort into our work? Do we desire to complete our work with excellence? 
Or, I hear this all the time from Christian employers who hire Christians. I was just speaking with one a couple weeks ago. He said, I'm not hiring Christians anymore because they're the laziest. They take advantage the most. They don't do excellent work. They come in late. They ask to leave early. They don't do excellence with what I've asked them to do. Somehow they think that because I'm a Christian and they're a Christian, they can take advantage of that. It should be the exact opposite. The Christian should set the example of excellence. Whether your boss is a believer or unbeliever, it does not matter. Perform it with excellence. Then you're reflecting the image of God as it is intended to be. Satisfaction. Man should take satisfaction from his work, just as God took satisfaction. God looked back. It was very good. He rested. We should be able to take satisfaction in our work. We should labor and look back at our labors and take satisfaction, understanding that God gave us the ability to do these things with our hands, with our minds, with our voices, our bodies, to use them for his glory and to make sure that we give him the glory. Say, thank you, Lord, for giving me the ability to do these things. Also, provision. God has provided a rich environment in which man can work to provide for himself and for his family. So, God has given us all the resources we need. This world that he has created... He's given us to us to be stewards of. We need to be wise stewards of it, but it is to be used. It is to be used. It is to be enjoyed. It is to be stewarded in such a way that it brings honor and glory to the Lord and not wasted, but used profitably. But everything that we need, God has provided for us. Move on to number three here. Work was instituted by God prior to the fall of man. Prior to Genesis 3, God designed man to work in the garden. Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. This was God's design. Reflect my glory, reflect my work by cultivating and keeping what I have given to you. It is yours to steward on my behalf. So, work is not a curse. A lot of us may have jobs that we don't like, bosses that we don't like, co-workers that we don't like, challenges that we face, pay that we don't like. But don't ever think that work in and of itself is a curse. And oh, the day when I can finally get out of here and stop working. You're basically saying, oh, the day when I can stop reflecting God's glory through labor. I know we work, there's, it's hard and there's labor, yes. But that is the way God is designed for us, to enjoy, not as a curse. 
And I'm sure there are many men who are saying, you know what, I want to work. I don't have opportunity right now. I don't have access to that. And we understand that. Basically, if you are not working and you're desiring to work and you're praying and you're seeking the Lord's will, your job while you're out of work is to work on finding a job. The eight hours a day that you would have spent working somewhere is the eight hours a day you're spent seeking after work, whether that be networking, whether that be interviewing, seeking jobs, positions, talking to people. That is your job while you are out of a job. So it's not a curse. Genesis 3. Then Adam, then to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife, this is after the fall, after the, the, the sin of Adam and Eve, you've eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat from it. They only had one command to obey. One. <coughs> one command. Don't eat from that tree. They violated it. What happened? Creation was cursed. Man was cursed. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground. Because from it you were taken, you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So work does become more challenging after the fall. But work itself is not cursed. The creation is cursed. And so we long for the day when the curse is reversed, when the king returns. Number four, continuing here with work, work builds godly character while laziness leads to evil. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, but the soul of the diligent is made fat. Proverbs fifteen nineteen: the way of the lazy is at a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a highway. If you're walking along a path and there's a hedge of thorns, well, somebody needs to clear that, right? To make the path clear, to make it visible and without obstruction. That's what the upright does, by clearing a path, making a highway. Finally, number five, which I've already mentioned here, man is meant to enjoy the fruit of his labor. Actually, there's a, a large section in your notes that I will just mention here that you can talk about in your discussion time. I'm not putting it up. The Life of a Sluggard, middle of page two, and continuing on down to the life of the diligent, comparing and contrasting according to Scripture. And you can look up these passages in your uh, small group time, if you have time to do that. But it's, a, it's an excellent study of comparing these two and seeing what God has to say, most particularly from the book of Proverbs, but other passages as well. So work through those and look at these passages. They will be a help to you. But now in the middle of page three, man is meant to enjoy the fruit of his labor. Ecclesiastes 9, 7 through 10. Go then, eat your bread in happiness, and drink your wine with a cheerful heart, for God has already approved your works. Let your clothes be white all the time, and let not oil be lacking on your head. 
Enjoy life with the woman whom you love all the days of your fleeting life, which he has given to you under the sun. For this is your reward in life and your, in, in your toil in which you have labored under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, which we've already mentioned that. But man is meant to enjoy what God has designed for him to enjoy through labor, through work. So that is not to be the end, the goal in mind, but that is just part of the reward of laboring, to enjoy the fruit of your labors. The farmer is to enjoy the fruit of his labors. The shepherd is to enjoy the fruit of his labors. We are to enjoy the fruit of our labors. Yet, number six here. Yet a man must not work as if God does not exist. It's one thing to enjoy all that God provides through labor and to recognize that that comes from the Lord's hand, that it is his blessing. But it is another thing to pursue those things as an end to themselves and to leave God out of the picture, to forget that he is the creator, he is the provider, he is the sustainer of everything. We talked about this in our our leaders meeting before tonight, that what was the problem with the man that Jesus told the parable of the man who built, he said he had so much, he had barns that they were filled, so he said, I'm going to tear down those barns and I'm going to build bigger ones. Was the problem that the man was industrious, that he was profitable, (coughs) that he was successful? No. The problem was, and God said, your soul will be acquired for you this evening, this very night. Why? Not for those things, but because he had a me-only mindset. I'm doing this. I accomplished this. I'm going to build this, and I'm going to show the world who I am, and look at all I've done. And he forgot God. That was his major sin. That was his downfall. So we must realize that God provides as, he's, as the worker is diligent, but not have an imbalanced, uh, and not be imbalanced in attitude towards work and family. Don't be a workaholic. Work is not the end in and of itself. Yes, God has designed for us to work. Yes, we should pursue that. Yes, we should give time to that. But that is not all that God has designed us to do. He's also given us families. He's also given us ministry, right? Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchmen keep awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors, for he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. So don't just wear yourself out with work, thinking that you are the ultimate provider. God is the ultimate provider. And to those who trust and rely upon him, it says he even gives to his beloved in their sleep. The Lord is the giver. The Lord is the provider. Yes, we labor. We work hard. We do these things. But we must recognize that God is the one who will 
bring the blessing. Okay? Now, I'm just briefly going to spend some time on the saving aspect next year. So that's, that's just a, a brief overview of work, of this foundation, of how we are to reflect God's glory and not to consider work to be a curse, but it is a blessing that God has given us. So the second aspect, I've got another little senseless humor here. Investments in retirement planning. Guy goes to see his advisor. If you work hard and invest wisely, you can afford to turn 65 on your 80th birthday. (laughs) Yeah, some of you guys are going, yeah, I know exactly what that means. All right. So let's, let's just talk a little bit about saving as a means of acquiring money. Work is one. Saving is another. Taking some of the income that you have earned and setting it aside. That is basically what savings is. And Solomon, in the wisdom that God has given to him, gave us an example from God's creation that we can observe and emulate. Solomon says, go to the ant, O sluggard. All right. You have a problem with laziness? You have a problem with diligence and excellence? Take a look at the ant. Observe observe the ant. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Observe her ways and be wise, which, having no chief, officer, or ruler, prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in the harvest. Another proverb. The ants are not a strong people, but they prepare their food in the summer. Note here that ants live on a variable income. Some of you have jobs where it's commission or you live on a variable income, higher, lower. Well, the ants do that as well, right? Their work output is high in the summer, but their commission check doesn't really come until the autumn months when they are gathering. And then they have no income in the winter months, so they live off their savings during those months. They prepare for the lean times by gathering in the harvest and gathering more than what they need and setting it aside. But it's set aside not to hoard it. It's set aside for a particular purpose, to be used during the lean months of the wintertime. So the next time you see ants, just remember the example that they are for us, that God has designed, how he has designed them to work. So very briefly here, a definition of savings. Savings can be defined as the amount of income left over after all expenses have been paid. Some of you say, I wish. I wish that were the case. So according to this definition, savings can be either positive or negative. There actually is such a thing as negative savings. Let me describe that to you. If a person spends more than they earn, use credit cards or some type of way to finance, they're buying things beyond their means. Income is here. Their expenses are here. That's negative savings. That's got to come from somewhere. And typically, it comes from borrowing. We talked heavily about that last week. 
So some people have a negative savings rate. They are spending more than they earn. They are living beyond their means. This is not the way God has designed us to live. But those who spend less money than they earn will have a surplus or a positive savings rate. Your income's here. Your expenses need to be here. And the gap in between is your savings what you should be setting aside for different purposes. As it pertains to personal finance, savings typically refers to keeping that remaining income after all expenses have been paid and setting it aside for particular purposes and or to reach particular goals. And let me just give you a few reasons for saving. An emergency fund. Most uh, financial advisors will say, the typical, the individual or the couple, you should save three to six months of, not of income, but of expenses. Save three to six months of expenses in an emergency fund that is readily available, liquid funds. It means you're not going to get much interest on it. But why, why do that? Because there's going to come a day when you need to tap into those funds. Lose your job, can't find a job for a few months, that's what the emergency fund is there for. Unexpected car bill, larger than you anticipated, that's what the emergency fund is there for. Saving for short-term goals, some of you want to save for down payment, you may set aside money for that. But the emergency fund is really to protect, to provide for provision in times of, of lean, lean moments. So, just very practical. The sluggard does not plow after the autumn, so he begs during the harvest and has nothing. You need to prepare ahead. Right? The diligent farmer is going to prepare for next, next season when he's going to plant. He's going to prepare ahead of time. So saving can be used to meet future short-term goals, to fund major home repairs or remodeling projects, to fund annual vacations. I know a lot of people would just say, we're going on vacation, we're putting it all on the credit card. We'll deal with it when we get back. We deserve it, it's time, we gotta get out of here. You come back, is anything improved? No, your situation's gotten better. Yeah, you got a little bit of sun, but it's all on the credit card. Why not plan for that? Okay, I wanna, here's what we're gonna spend our vacation next year. Divide that by 12, and that's what I'm going to save over the next 12 months. Next 12 months come along, there's my vacation fund. It's ready to go. Future major event, wedding, anniversary, birth. You can put you know, a car on here, any, any type of thing. And we don't have time to go into detail about these, but just giving you an example of some short-term goals that you may have in mind to save for. And you should pay yourself now so you can spend on your needs later. That's what the ants do. Right? And when it comes to your income, the first portion of your income, and according to the New Testament, that you give willingly, cheerfully, generously, is to be given back to the Lord. From the very top, not the end. You don't give what's left over to the Lord. You give of the first fruits to the Lord. Then you save. 
then everything else is for your living expenses. You try to do it in reverse order, guess what? There's more month at the end of the money. There's too much month left at the end of the money. It will always happen that way. But if you discipline yourself, I'm giving to the Lord, I'm putting aside savings, and the rest I will live on. You've got to do that. You cannot do the reverse. It won't work. Okay? So save a portion of your income that you can use, so you can use that income to fund particular goals in the future. Just a general generalization here. Aim to save a minimum of 10% of your income if you can. And then always have a goal in mind for your savings. You need to know what you are saving for. If you're not saving for anything in particular, you're just hoarding. Save for a purpose, save for a reason. Whether that be the emergency fund, whether it be the next major purchase you need to make, you're saving with a purpose. That's also going to determine how much risk you can take, whether you should take any risk or not. All of those things that we need to understand when it comes to saving and investing. A faithful man will abound with blessings. And this is uh, investing. Very, very brief here. There's, there's a lot of notes on this topic in the extended notes that have been sent to you by Neil. A lot of information on this. I'm only barely scratching the surface. A faithful man will abound with blessings, but he who makes haste to be rich will not go unpunished. Proverbs 20. 820. Long-term investing. See, I like to say savings is, is a, the broad umbrella that can encompass both short-term savings and long-term investing. But we can just further divide that and say savings are typically for short-term things where you're not risking the principal, where you're setting it aside in liquid accounts to be readily available. Investing is looking long-term. You're looking to the future, and you're willing to take on more risk for what you are investing for, whether that be the time when you stop working and instead of the company paying you, you begin paying yourself for your life and ministry that you complete after retirement. Okay? So investing is, is taking some risk, you can take a little risk, you can take a lot of risk. There's a broad spectrum there. But you're hoping that this item will increase in value, whatever you've purchased, and you've got to take into account risk. You must take into account risk. But you're hoping it will generate income, you're hoping it will appreciate in value. Whether that be stocks, bonds, real estate, please don't tell me you invested in Bitcoin. Please don't tell me you did that. Please don't tell me I'm putting all my money into silver. Please don't tell me I'm putting all my money into gold. I'm putting all my money here or there. That is not biblical. That's putting all your eggs in one basket. Basket falls, all your eggs break. Put your eggs in several baskets, different risks, different diversification. One of those falls... You haven't broken all your eggs. Only one basket is broken. So diversification is very important. Level of risk is very important. Having a goal in mind is very important. What are you saving for? What are you willing to risk? Okay? 
but never desire to become rich through investing. Godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. The words of Paul to Timothy. We brought nothing into the world, we can take nothing out of it either. If we have food and covering, with these we will be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. Being wealthy is not wrong. It is not sinful. It is, can be the blessing of God. But it is this desire to get rich, to gain, to have wealth for myself. That's going to lead you to harm. That's going to lead you to foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction because it's the love of money that's the root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I deal in wealth management. I deal with people who have either been blessed by God or pursued riches and gained a massive amount of wealth. And those who pursue it just for its own self, they're not happy people. Right? How much is enough? One dollar more. Just one dollar more. Okay. Do not wear yourself to gain wealth. Cease from consideration of it. It's all going to disappear anyway. In Proverbs 30, two things I've asked of you, do not refuse me before I die. Keep deception and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion, and not that I not be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or that I not be in want and steal and profane the name of my God. Learn contentment. If you don't learn contentment with a little, You'll never be contentment with a lot. Never. Okay? And I'm not going to go, you can look through this. I know we need to move on. All right? Next week, we're going to talk about giving. Giving as a means of acquiring money. I won't go through these now because we will focus on this next week. But God has designed giving, the reaping and sowing principle, for us. So with that, I'm going to finish tonight. Thank you for your attention. We are going to now move into a time of singing. We're going to sing the solid rock, which is hymn 381. And while the men are coming, let me just close this time in prayer, and then we will sing to the Lord. Father, thank you again for, for just the, the clear teaching of Scripture and that you are a God who works and that is a great blessing to us to be able to work. We know there are men who are seeking after work, some men who cannot work, but those who have the ability to work, we pray that we would do it according to how you've designed for us. Lord, we praise you for the truth of Scripture. We praise you for the opportunity to, to labor and to use the fruit of our labors to enjoy, but also to give to others. Lord, we just ask that you would, would work on our hearts through the exposure to Scripture.
and that your Holy Spirit would bring conviction to us to where we need to change and that we would be encouraged by following your example. We pray this in your name. Amen.